think about what you're saying. Waymaker. Miracle worker. Promise keeper. Light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. You're the waymaker. I want to read something to you just real quickly. It's going to kind of set the tone of where we're going. But through this entire message, I want you to keep in your mind just for a few seconds that he's the way maker, the promise keeper. And then I want you to read what we're about to read. It's in John chapter 11. We're going to skip through a couple of verses, so it'll be on the screen, but, but I want to read it from my Bible. Starting at verse 1, it says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. So you've got Mary and Martha, their brother Lazarus. They're all from Bethany. It said, so the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Jesus, Lazarus, is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and he loved Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. He stayed for two more days. It doesn't line up. So then we skip to... Let's see where we're at. Verse 17 said, On his arrival, so Jesus does come, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in a tomb for four days. So now Lazarus has been dead for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brothers. Their brother's dead. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. So Martha and Mary have a brother named Lazarus. Lazarus gets sick, and Martha sends a messenger to Jesus, about two miles away, to Jesus to say, Hey, the one you love, my brother, is sick. Will you come and heal him? Martha expects the messenger to come back with Jesus. The messenger doesn't come back with a certain person. He comes back with a certain promise. Jesus said that this will not end in death. And then it ends in death. And there is Martha dwelling in disappointment. Do me a favor. Before you see it, I want you to look at the person beside you. You've got to practice this because this is the title of my sermon. You ready? You've got to practice this. You've got to say, I saw it going differently in my mind. Come on, do it like this. I saw it going differently in my mind. Come on, give them a high five, give them a hug, tell them it's so good to see you this morning. Come on, give this worship team a little bit of hand of applause, bringing it this morning, right before the end of the year, looking good. Got your 2020 Mohawk going on. Hey, I got, I, I want to take a vote. This is the very first church vote we'll ever do at Victory Church, and it'll be the last. Um, if you think that in 2020, I should start having a Mohawk like Jeff, raise your hand. All right. Never mind. I, I, I didn't see enough hands uh, to move me. Uh, you stood up. That, that's the most. I better get more amens like that during this message. Um, say it with me. Say, I saw it going differently in my mind. One of my favorite Will Smith movies is a movie called Hitch. Are y'all familiar with that movie? Hitch. Um, and there is this scene where he takes his girlfriend or however you want to play it out. And he takes her on this date. 
And he's got all in his mind how this date is going to go. Like he already knows. He's got it all pictured in his head. And he takes her. And if you've seen the movie, she kind of does this freak out thing. She's like, oh, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, but, but she freaks out. And, and he has this moment where he says to her after that, he says, you know, I saw that going differently in my mind. And I knew that we are now, I knew that when we'd gather today, we would be about two days or so away from, from putting a bow on 2019 and opening the door to 2020. And I knew that there was probably a high probability that somebody, if not all of us, could look back at 2019, at least at something, and go, I saw that going differently in my mind. When, when 2019 was starting, you, you kind of had an idea of what would happen. For example, you may have had an idea that a relationship would start in 2019, and it didn't. Maybe you didn't have any clue that a relationship was going to end in 2019, but it did. Maybe you had this idea of a job you were going to get, and you didn't get it. Maybe you had no idea that you were going to lose a job, and you did. Maybe you saw your health going in a different direction, or maybe you got a diagnosis about something you weren't expecting, or maybe your finances went one way or they went the other way. Maybe you really thought it was going to happen this way, but it didn't happen that way. And what started off looking really good in 2019 isn't looking so good as 2019 comes to a close. Maybe, maybe you spent your Christmas in a hospital, and that's not the way you saw it happening. Maybe you, maybe you ex- are going to go into the new year in pain, and you didn't really expect that to happen. And you're looking back on 2019, getting ready to go into 2020, And if you could put a sentence on the year, it would be, I saw it going differently in my mind. And we've been in a series over the past couple of weeks, and I hope you've enjoyed it, where we really tried to face things like anxiety and depression and tried to speak to those things. And I want to remind you, although this series is coming to a close today, I want to remind you that on our Sermon Notes app, Uh, You can scroll down and find some practical help, book resources, Christian counseling resources that you could continue to use beyond the sermon series ending. But the more I thought about the series and and the more I thought about it coming to this being the Sunday, the last Sunday of the year, and what do you say to a church that's prepping for 2020 and that's seen God do great things in 2019 and people who have seen God do great things in 2019, but now you're going into 2020. and, And I really thought about it like this. I think most of my Anxious moments and my moments of depression, if I was honest, they would be founded on moments of disappointment. That that if I could really, really follow the the route back of some of my most anxious moments and some of my most frustrating moments, I could could follow that route back to moments of just disappointment. And if you and I are going to lead our feelings according to Ephesians, if we're going to lead our feelings to Christ, then we have got to learn how to deal with disappointment. Amen? So maybe you're looking back on 2019 and you're kind of dwelling in disappointment like Martha was. And I want to talk just for a moment today, and then we'll talk a little bit about our churchwide fast and where we're going in 2020. But I want to talk just for a second about how to deal with disappointment. And the first thing is this. If we're going to deal with disappointment, we have to pay close attention to our expectations. Right off the bat, we got to focus on our expectations. Look what it said in John chapter 11, verses 3 and 4. It said, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Not just anybody. A Pharisee isn't sick. A sinner isn't sick. The one you love is sick. You can tell right off the bat that Martha has some expectations. The one you love is sick. And when he heard this, when Jesus heard this, 
He said the sickness will not end in death. Hallelujah. He's going to be healed. Praise God. Spoiler alert, Lazarus dies. Right? That's odd. Spoiler alert number two, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Praise God. But here's the truth. Martha didn't know that. There was a moment in there, four days to be exact, where Martha just had to dwell in disappointment. She's just, what, what she expected Jesus to do and what Jesus actually did were not the same thing. And she just finds herself, maybe where you are today, just disappointed in the outcome. Here's the thing about Martha. Is anybody, are, you, are anybody in here a planner? Are you a planner? Anybody here a planner? You already know what you're going to do tomorrow. You already got your whole day laid out. When you go in your house, everything's organized, right? All your kitchen utensils and everything, they match. You know what I mean? Your plates match. Like you're an organized person. I believe Martha was an organized person. Like, like if you walked into her kitchen, I believe she'd have like the little marker board on the wall that has the M-T-W-T-F-S-S, which is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And she would have it all mapped out. And they, she, you know, they knew what they were going to eat. And they, what, was the, what was the meal thing we did for a little bit where they sent the meal to your, to your house? You don't remember either. All right. HelloFresh. So Martha's probably got a subscription to HelloFresh, and the food's coming, so she knows what she's having, lamb on Thursday. You know what I mean? Like she's got it all laid out, right? She, she's an organized person. She's a planner. And so watch this. When the message comes back from the messenger that Jesus said that Lazarus' death is not going to end, or Lazarus' sickness is not going to end in death, you can guarantee she started developing her own picture of how it would play out. Right? You can, you can guarantee Martha was like, okay, let's, let me walk through this. So Jesus is not here, but he guaranteed that my brother wouldn't die. So and she started thinking about all the things that Jesus had done, because Jesus done some crazy things when it come to healing. He, he would take mud and put it on guys' eyes, and he would speak words and send, send people, all this kind of, so she started playing out in her mind, like, all right, this is what I think Jesus is going to do. Maybe he's going to show up to my house. Maybe he's going to walk up. Maybe he's going to lay on top of Lazarus and put, like, his palm on his palm, nose to nose, and then he's going to rise, right? Or, 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 may, or maybe, I'm, maybe I'm just going to go home, and Lazarus is going to be in the kitchen cooking eggs. He's just going to be healed. Like, she's just going to kind of started playing out in her mind how Jesus was going to do this. Have you ever gotten a word from God or a promise from God and then started developing your own picture to how it's going to play out. You know what I mean? Like, like God said he's going to heal me. Right? The word says he's going to heal me. So then you just start going all through your mind how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen, what it's going to look like. God says in his word he's going to provide for you. So you start thinking about how it's going to happen and what it's going to look like. When we, when we knew we were going to plant this church, when we felt like God made a promise to us that, that if we would follow his word and step out, he would be obedient, or we, if we were obedient, he'd be faithful, we, we, we immediately started coming up with this picture of what the church would look like. And, and it was so crazy. I remember telling the 10 families that moved with us, I said, listen, whatever you're picturing, forget about it. Whatever you're picturing, forget about it. Because I can guarantee you that whatever we picture is not going to match what God decides to do. But we're all tempted to do that, right? We just, I mean, like, I'll give you an example. One of the things we, we pictured about this church, because we were young and, and, and we had young kids, we were like, this is going to be a really young church. And all these young people are going to come. But they don't, they don't know how to tithe and they don't know how to serve. And so we're just going to be a very quick church, right? We're going to open and then we're going to close. And, and then God just sent all ages and all races. And, and it was just amazing what God was doing. But we couldn't have pictured that. But there's something in us that when God gives us a promise, we start playing 
planning out how the picture is going to develop. But what happens when what we pictured doesn't match God's process? Right? I'll tell you what happens. Disappointment. When what we pictured doesn't line up with the way God plays it out, we find ourselves dwelling in disappointment. Because, listen, most of the time when I find myself disappointed, it's because what I expected to happen is not what happened. Right? We were in Memphis for the holidays to see our parents, and the kids got all kinds of Christmas presents, you can imagine. Some of the things they got were a bunch of Lego sets, so they got different kinds of Lego sets. And one day, middle of the week, I, I, was, I was just kind of looking for something to take my mind off of stuff, and I, and I saw some of the Lego pieces, because my, my kids would start putting it together, and they would just leave it in the floor, right? Everybody knows what that's like. And so after you stepped on a few Legos, and you look like the, the burglars from Home Alone, I decided to sit down and, and build one. And so I grabbed some of the pieces, and I scooted them in front of me, and I grabbed the box, and I set the box up in front of me, and I'm looking at the picture, and I'm like, I don't even need the directions because I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, and so I'm just going to be able to put it together. And so I start trying to put it together, and I'm looking at the picture, and I'm like, this, this doesn't make sense. So I'm looking for a particular piece, and I start looking for the piece, and I'm like, the piece is not here. So either A, we bought a, a, a dysfunctional Lego set, or my kids have already lost a piece, and it's like the day after Christmas, right? And so I'm like, well, I'll just move on. And so I start looking, and I can't find this piece. And I'm, now I'm frustrated. I'm like ready to kill my kids. I'm like, somebody bought you Legos, and you've already ruined it. We can't even put them together. And Veda walks in, and she goes, Dad, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to put the Legos together, but you've lost all the pieces. And she looks at it, and she goes, those are the wrong pieces. They don't match that picture. I was like, what do you mean? And she said, look, you've, you've, I've got multiple Legos. So she brings me another box. She goes, those pieces go to this picture. And I was like, oh, so I had the right pieces. I just had the wrong. Is it possible that my disappointment is normally formed by the fact that I have the right pieces, but I have somehow developed the wrong picture, right? Like God's given me all I need, but is it possible that whatever picture that I've designed and developed on my own isn't the picture he wanted for me? So I'm frustrated because I can't find the pieces to match that picture, and God's saying, why are you so frustrated? That was never the picture to begin with. I had a total different picture for you. You grabbed the wrong picture. Here's a question for all of us. Where did we get our picture? This expectation that we had that was going to happen, I was going to get that job. Where did you get that picture? I was going to get that raise. Where did you get that picture? I was going to be here. Where I was going to marry him. I was going to be engaged. Where did you get that picture? Because is it possible that it's the picture that's causing us frustration? Because we've picked an expectation that God never had. Where why did, I, why did I think it was going to go like that? Why? I'll answer the question on my behalf for you because you're not going to give me your answers necessarily. Let me tell you how I form my pictures. So, so when I have an expectation of something, there's normally two things that I have used to form that expectation. The first thing is what I think I know about God. That's the first thing. What I think I know about, I, I think I know that God loves me. I think I know that God has plans to, to prosper me. This is what I think I know about God. The other half is what I think makes sense. Right? Let's, let's walk through, right? I mean, I mean any, any expectation. H how's marriage going to go for you, Troy? Well, 
I, I, I'm going to form my expectation off what I think I know about God and marriage, and then I'm going to form it off what I think makes sense. And so you begin to form it. Think about every expectation you've had. It's half what you think you know about God and half what makes sense to you. Sometimes I feel like my plan makes more sense than God's process. I knew it would get quiet at this point. These are the things you don't want to say, but I'm going to say them. Because these are the things that you think if you say it, you might get struck by lightning, right? But there are moments, am I right, are there not moments where you think your plan made more sense than what God did, right? Like, God, if you want me to give, give me the raise, and then I'll give. That makes perfect sense. God, if you want my marriage to be happy, then make my husband uh, understand plain English, right, right? It's, 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 you, you, it just makes sense. Like, just make, if you don't want me to kill my kids, then make them good kids. Like, it just makes sense. Like, there's just moments where I'm like, God, how is it I make more sense than you? There's just, there's just moments where what God does doesn't make sense. The Bible said that Jesus was two miles away from Bethany, which means he could have been there and however long it takes to walk two miles, and he could have healed Lazarus, and all of this would have been done, and Martha wouldn't have had to go through all the disappointment. Because listen to me, we don't understand Martha's disappointment because we don't process the four days where she thought Jesus was wrong. Right? We know Lazarus gets healed, so we excuse Martha. For four days, 24, 48, 72, 98, I don't know. This is church, not school. All right, figure it out on your own. However many hours that is is how long she went thinking that Jesus told her a lie, right? So she's disappointed because she has this picture, and she's thinking, hey, that would have made way more sense than what you did. What do we do when we think we have more sense than the Savior? What do we do? People are like, oh, I'm not not approaching that question. That sounds like... But we think it, don't we? Like, God, it would have made way more sense for you to just do this. One time, uh, Veda, I had gotten onto Veda, and I sent her to her room. And I said, all right, you're in trouble. Go to your room, and don't come out of your room until I come up there and talk to you. All right? So she, my, our in-laws were there. So she goes upstairs to her room. My mother-in-law is in the little extra room. And so it couldn't have been two or three, maybe, maybe five minutes. And I could hear her out talking to my mother-in-law. And so I just said from downstairs, Veda, she said, yeah. You know, that, that innocent, like, yeah, like she knew she was in trouble. I said, it sounds like you're not in your room. She goes, no, I came out to help Mama open the window. I said, come down here, please. She comes downstairs. I said, did I tell you to go to your room? Yes, sir. Did I tell you not to come out until I came and got you? Yes, sir. But you came out, didn't you? Well, well Mama needed my help. I said, no, I told you. Not to come out. Well, how was I supposed to know that? I told you, go to your room and don't come out of your room until I come and tell you you can come out, right? Now I've put her in timeout by the door, and I'm letting her have it. And she goes, well, what if I had to use the bathroom? Or what if there was an emergency? And I said, then you come ask me if you can go to the bathroom. And she goes, well, how can I come out and ask you if I can't leave my room? I just said, be quiet. 
You ever had your kid get one up on you? You know what I'm talking about? Listen, kids, if your parents ever say, go to your room, that's because you have got them backed in a corner where it makes sense what they're saying, but you have talked them in circles where now they're not even sure what they're doing anymore, right? And I just wonder, like, maybe, just maybe, I got God backed in a corner, right? Like, maybe I'm just like, hey, I understand you want to do this, but this makes so much more sense. And maybe, maybe God just like, man, Troy, you got me. Go to your room. But it doesn't work that way. And then I read John 11, verse 6 again, and, and I really felt the Holy Spirit tell me something that I wanted to share with you. Watch this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them. He loved them. So Christ's sentiment is clear. He, he loved them. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he hurried off to the house. When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he called an Uber, right? When he, saw Laz- when he heard Lazarus was sick, he sent healing from the messenger. No, no, he stayed where he was for two more days. I see Christ's love, but his actions don't make sense. And I felt the Holy Spirit tell me this, and I wanted to share it with you. We can always expect his affection, but we can't always make sense of his actions. When it comes to our expectations, when you're looking back on 2019, you can always expect to find his love and his affection. But you have got to quit trying to make sense of his actions. This is where our disappointment comes from. God, I expected you to do it this way. And because you loved me, I expected you to do it this way. And what I felt the Lord tell me is, I do love you. Loving you is not in question here. You can expect my affection. If you need an expectation, expect the love of Christ. But quit trying to expect to make sense of his actions. When this year started, we had the word more. Matter of fact, we got it on our bracelets from Ephesians 3.20. And we were shouting that verse at the beginning of the year. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than I could ever ask or imagine. More, right? Right, that's so awesome. Like, like the church is growing. God, do immeasurably more than I could ever ask or imagine. When it comes to my kids, God, do immeasurably more than I could ever ask or imagine. When it comes to my job, do immeasurably more than I could ever ask or imagine. When it comes to my finances, do immeasurably more than I could ever ask or imagine. Why are we shouting at a verse that literally says, whatever you expect will be disappointed? Do immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine. So whatever you've imagined, he's not going to do it. Whatever you've asked, he's not going to do it. Because he's in the process of doing immeasurably more than what you asked or imagined. So let me sum it up like this. If we are not willing to budge on our preferences, if we hold tight to our preference, then we will be disappointed 100% of the time. We have to be willing to revise the picture and the expectation that we had of God. I don't expect the same thing from God now as I did when I was 17 because my knowledge of God has changed. If you would have found me at 17, me and Pastor Brian were talking about this, uh, they, they are trying to get Pastor Ryan and I to rap at the birthday party for the church in a couple weeks. It's not going to happen, so don't even cheer. Don't get excited. It'll happen when I get the mohawk, okay? Um, 
But it made me think about when we were 17. There's this video on Facebook. I might, I might, we might get crazy and show this. But we were in a fashion show in high school together. Um, you can see Miss Erica on there as well. And there's this point where Pastor Brian and I come and we meet. You think, you think we could do it real quick? You want to try it? Let's try it real quick. Jump over here. Let's try it. All right. So there's this point where we meet. I'll stand over here. So we come out. Pastor Brian's got jeans and, and Jordans on and stuff. And I got on like a, like a, a hat to the side because we were... Never mind. And so um, we come out, and, and in the middle, we do our little fashion show thing. So we walk down, and we, you know, we style or whatever. And Pastor Brian, well, show him your move real quick. Okay. And so he does a move. And then there's this moment where we meet in the center, and we, we do this handshake. Can, uh, I hope I can remember this. <laughs> right? Y'all see that? All right. We're going to try it again. We didn't get it. So we come in the middle. We meet in the middle, and we're like, You see, I, 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 oh, give it up for Pastor Brian. Come on, y'all. Y'all like that. Okay, now, if God would have done what I expected at 17, me and Pastor Brian would have been rappers somewhere. <laughs> we probably would have had gold teeth and face tattoos, and I would have never met Darla because she's not marrying me, and I would have never known you, and God wouldn't have done great things, and I, because then that's what I expected. That was my picture. But because I was able to allow God to revise the picture, right, as time goes, look, it's okay for you to have expectations but hold them loosely because what God is doing is going to be more than you can ask or imagine. So if you are so uh, uh, focused and, and, and committed to your picture, then following God's going to leave you in disappointment. What's going to happen? Because God, you can't think on the level God's thinking. So what he wanted, she just wanted him to heal Lazarus. Jesus wanted to resurrect him. She just wanted one soul to be saved. He wanted to save thousands. His picture's bigger. So it starts with our expectation, right? Moving into 2020, I, watch this. I want to trust God's process more than I want my preference. That, that has to be our heart. I want to trust your process, God, more than I want my preference. I want what you're doing, not what I want. Because I'm 35 now, but I guarantee at 42, if I would have gotten what I wanted at 35, it would have been less than what God had for me at 42. If we don't release our expectations, watch this. Our expectations then move into our frustrations. Our expectation moves into our frustration. Verse 46 says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, uh, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So Martha comes out. You can see Martha coming out with her hands on her hips, right? She comes out and she's like, like all the smoke. She wants all the smoke. Y'all know what that means? Like she just, she, she's coming out. Where's, where is he at? Where is he at? Got the little hip thing going. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? You know what I mean? It's like she is ready to just, like, where, where is he at? Bring, get, bring him over here. And everybody's like, oh, my goodness. Martha's so frustrated with Jesus. What did Jesus do? He was just hanging out at her house. What did Jesus do to Martha? Why is Martha so angry? And listen, you can make better sense of her frustration once you understand her expectation. So let me help you understand her expectation. Martha is the same Martha that every time Jesus and the disciples came in town, she opened up Bethany's Airbnb. 
they came in and she, she, would, she would make the table for them and she'd put the fine china out and she'd go make her famous Brussels sprouts, right? And she'd get everything ready and she'd put the sheets on the couch. Y'all know what, some of y'all had family come in town over the holidays and you know what it's like, you got to get the sheets and the extra pillows out of the closet, right? And you got to go set up the couch already and you've, you've bought all the groceries and, and you're in there cooking. All my moms, right? All, all your kids were in there watching sports and looking at their present and you're in there just slaving and cooking, cooking, right? And this is what Martha was doing. She was just serving Jesus. She's cooking the food. She's setting the table. Got the best plate. He comes in with 12 of his boys, right? Yeah, yeah, like, moms, you remember what it was like when your son came home and he brought like eight of his friends and they were like, mama, I'm hungry. He was like, well, go to one of their parents' house. My mom used to tell me, I'm not feeding the whole neighborhood, right? That's what she used to say. Yes, you are. And so you come in, and, and so Martha's putting pizza rolls out for everybody. You know what I mean? She just got pizza rolls here and there. And, and then watch this. Then they eat, and they're all full, and the Bible says they would, like, lean back, right? Lean back. <laughs> lean back. Y'all know what? Okay. So they're all full, and Jesus is like, Martha, I'm going to go lay down. And so all these dirty, smelly disciples get up, and they go into her couch where she's got the plastic on the couch. Y'all remember that? Grandma had the plastic because you can sit on it, but you can't stain it. So they had the plastic, and Martha's in there, and she's collecting. whole time Mary's at his feet just worshiping Jesus. And Martha's talking bad about Mary, and she's grabbing plates, right, and she's cleaning up, and she's grabbing forks, and she's taking, and she's dumping out the food they didn't eat. And then she goes into the kitchen, right, and she starts washing the dishes, right. This is what she normally did with Jesus. She just served Jesus. She cleaned the plates, put the plates back up, go into the kitchen, clean up the table, get the little cool scraper they have at the fancy restaurants, and scrape all the food off into her hand, and put it in the trash can, and get the kitchen ready. And she'd go in, she'd go, Jesus, do you need anything, honey? And he'd go, no, I'm good. And she'd go, okay, let me know if you need anything. And she'd go back into the living room. And then Jesus and his boys would get up and leave to go do miracles. And a couple days later, they'd come back, and Martha go get the linens back up that she just washed, and she put them out again, and she put the fine china out again. She served Jesus. So now, now that you understand what she did, now understand her frustration. Here's her frustration. I served you, and you couldn't even save him? I did everything you asked me to do. Every time you dropped by with your boys, I fed you, I cleaned you, I never once asked you for anything. And all of a sudden, I need you to do one thing. Remember when your parents would talk to you like that? I, I pay for these lights. I provide you food. I put clothes on your back. I need you to do this one thing. Go brush your teeth, right? That was just this one. Martha's like, I needed one thing. I served you. I served you. I served you. And you couldn't even do that one thing. And watch. She could actually justify her expectations by her efforts. This is why she said, tell Jesus the one he loves is sick. Because Martha wanted everything. She wanted her expectation to be driven by her, her efforts. I do, I do all this for you. and You can't do this one thing. And watch, if we're not careful, she ends up with this thought process that will set her up with frustration. Watch this. She could literally walk away going, I see you come when I cook, but you don't come when I cry. You ever had that thought about Jesus? I want to talk just for a second to those of you, and if you're at church the Sunday before New Year's, you're probably a Christ lover and a church goer. You serve God. You probably tithe. You probably serve on the dream team. I want to talk to those of you for a second. 
who you feel like you're always doing what God asks you to do. You're serving, you're giving, you're praying, you're believing. You show up every Sunday at 6.30 to set up the production. You, 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 you are faithful to your nursery rotation schedule. You, you do fasting and prayer. You do purpose prevails. You come to the church picnic. You do everything. You got your little five-minute devo on the phone that you follow. You are doing everything God asks you to do, and you don't ask for much, right? But the one thing you asked for, God didn't do it. So he comes when you cook, but it looks like he didn't come when you cried. And now you're dwelling in disappointment. You know what I'm learning? That the same thing that the enemy uses to frustrate our faith, to destroy our faith, is the same thing God uses to build it. Disappointment. I got this word in my heart about four weeks ago. I'm going to give you a statement here in a minute, and that's where it started. God dropped this word in my heart, and I needed it bad. As soon as I saw it, I said, I'm going to preach that to the church right before the end of the year. Because I'm smart enough to know that there's a lot of people coming to the end of the year dealing with disappointment. It just so happened I had a friend who was dealing with some stuff herself. And Darla and I were mess- messaging her back and forth, encouraging her. And when I saw this message, I, all of a sudden I felt a word for her. Because if she was up here talking, she would tell you this. Ever since she's been saved, she served God. She's done everything God's asked her to do. She's been a tither for years. She gives above and beyond tithing. She, she serves in the church. She goes to church. She's one of those that when you're on vacation, she goes to church. You know what I'm talking about? One of them real Christians. Like, she just, she just, she just does everything. And, and she'll tell you this. She doesn't ask for much. And it was crazy because a couple, probably about a couple months ago now, she asked Jesus for, for one thing. She prayed about it. And if I told you what it was, I, I would, but then a lot of you would know who I'm talking about. But if I told you what it was, it was so basic. It was simple. It was a two-mile trip from Bethany. It was, it, it was simple. And for whatever reason, God didn't do it. God said no. And that, that, that really was a struggle for her because, again, she's like Martha. She's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Every time Jesus came, I served up the best food. I cleaned the dishes. I put the sheets out. I served him hand and foot. I did everything he asked. And I asked for one thing. And he didn't give that to me. And, and when we knew that and we're counseling them through this, I'm like, I'm like God, give me a word. Like, and I, I started off by going, God, just answer that prayer anyway, right? And then I'm like, God, give me a word I need something for. Give me something to be encouraged about. And I, and I really wish I could tell you that I had like this statement that it's just like, boom. And it was like, all problems are gone. She's great. It doesn't quite work that way. And so I told her, I said, hey, I read a story. I walked her through Lazarus. I said, I felt like God gave me a statement. I said, so you, you keep praying about it, and I'll keep praying about it, and we'll keep processing this. But in the meantime, you need to hear this statement. And I told her this right here. Every miracle that God ever performed started with a disappointment. So I, that, that word just it dropped in me. I was at the gym, and God just said, every miracle I've ever performed started with a disappointment. Just a couple of weeks ago, we, we celebrated the Immaculate Conception. The Virgin Mary, born, births a Savior to the world. But we talked about how for a moment there, for Joseph, 
it was a disappointment. My wife is pregnant probably by another man. Lawfully, I'll divorce her. It's a, it's a disappointment. A few months ago, we talked about the miraculous catch of Peter. Right now, he's in the boat, and Jesus helps him, and he pulls his net, and his net's breaking. But before the miracle happened, what happened? Disappointment. Hey, hey, Peter, have you been fishing all night? Yeah, all night. What have you caught? Nothing. Hey, have you been praying? Yes, all year. What'd you catch? Nothing. He's dwelling in disappointment. And here comes the miracle. Our whole faith is built on the, on the birth and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the resurrection's the miracle. But that time frame in between his death and his resurrection was disappointment. What I want you to understand is what I felt the Spirit of God tell me so good. And that is that every miracle that God is ever going to do in your life starts with a disappointment. The miracle was what? In Lazarus, the miracle was what? The resurrection. What was the disappointment? He died. First of all, why am I preaching? Y'all are, are Bible scholars. Okay, so the miracle was the resurrection, and, and the disappointment was the death. You can't have the resurrection without what? The death. I can't have the miracle without first being disappointed. God can't exceed my expectations without first crushing them. There has to be a moment where I'm disappointed for God to be able to push through and do something that I consider a miracle. Can I tell you something that I saw for probably the first time? I mean, I've read it. So, so the most memorized verse in the Bible, you know what it is? Okay, let me rephrase that. The easiest verse to memorize in the Bible, you know what it is? Do you know the reference of it? No. Right? We, we know Jesus wept. It's in John chapter 11, where we are right now. So in John chapter 11, verse 35, the Bible says that Jesus wept. Do you know why he was weeping? Lazarus was dead. Help me with this. You think, does, 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 does Jesus know he's about to heal him? Yeah, I mean, he's not like, oh, look what I did. Like, like I mean, yeah, like, he's no. But he's crying. Can I tell you something about the God I serve? That even when he knows he's going to exceed your expectation, he still comforts us and cries with us in our disappointment. He's not the one who's up there going, shut up, stand up, and get over it. He understands that we've developed this picture. He understands that our mind is not where his mind is. And so we get this idea of this is what's best for us. And we expect God to do what's best for us. So we give him this picture and we say, hey, do this for me. And God says, I can't do that for you. Because you don't understand that in 10 years, that will be a percentage of what I'm going to do for you. I can't do it for you. And then he, we start to get disappointed and we start to cry. And if you're not careful, religion will teach you that Jesus walks off and says, grow up. Put, put your big boy panties on, right? But, but, but here's what Jesus really does. Is he gets down with us, puts his arms around us, and weeps 
I'm sorry that you're disappointed. I'm, I'm sorry that we have to be in this moment. But if you'll trust me and you'll believe that what I've got pictured is better than what you've got pictured, and if you will release your expectations, then I don't know, it could be four days, it could be four years. But if you'll trust, there will be a moment where you stand from a place that God puts you and you say, I'm so glad he didn't give me what I pictured. Because what I pictured will never match the praise and the blessing that he has for me. The more I was studying this verse, I started thinking about our song. You never lost the battle. You never lost the battle. There's this part where it says, uh, I can't do it quite like Andrea, but she says, uh, you are, I can't even get the beat now. Showing up, you are still showing up at the tomb of every Lazarus, right? I know that was really difficult for y'all to, to take in. But when I first heard that song, here's how I interpreted that line in the song. I interpreted it as he still shows up to all of us that are dead in our sin but are going to be resurrected by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the way I pictured it, right? Like, like before Christ, I was dead in my sin. Before you, in a minute, Pastor Brian will lead us an opportunity to give your heart to Jesus. If you're not saved, you are dead in your sin. So, but, but when we're resurrected through the blood of Jesus Christ, that's what, I, that's what I imagine, is that you are still showing up at the tomb of every Lazarus. And so you were Lazarus at one point. I was a Lazarus at one point. We were dead in our sins. Jesus showed up to your grave. Jesus showed up to my grave. And we're praying that Jesus shows up to their grave. And you are still showing up at the tomb of every Lazarus. And so my coworker who's not saved and my mom who's not saved, you are still showing up at the tomb of every Lazarus. That's what I believe, and that's great theology, and we should. But when I was reading this, I'm like, wait a minute. Now Lazarus is a totally different thing. Lazarus is not the unsaved. Lazarus is my disappointment. Because before Lazarus was ever Martha's miracle, he was Martha's biggest disappointment. Right? So he is still showing up at the tomb of every disappointment. He is still resurrecting every unmet expectation. Everything that we thought and it didn't become, he is still showing up at the tomb to resurrect. And so here's my prayer for 2020. God, I'm believing that you are still going to show up in the prayer request, in the disappointment that I have. Everyone in here has a Lazarus. Did you know that? If you can't identify it, let me help you identify it. It's your biggest prayer request. Your disappointment right now is the same thing as your biggest prayer request. And God's still showing up. When Martha ran out with her hand on her hip, he's like, I can't Jesus says, hey, you know, starts talking to her. Here's what she says. She says, let's pray. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Watch this. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise. Even now. I'm believing for 2020 to be the year of even now. Even now. Whatever it is that you've been praying for, whatever it is that you've been expecting, Go ahead and put that last slide up for me. So, so in 2020, the word for our church is the word shift. And I'm going to talk a lot about this throughout the year. 
but I wanted to put this on the screen for you, but I need this to be able to explain to you, and I'm almost done. In 2020, I am praying for a shift in blank, a shift in my marriage, a shift in my job, a shift in my finances, a shift in my health. I'm praying for whatever your Lazarus is. Now, be careful, because if Martha was writing this, it would be, in 2020, I'm praying for a shift in the healing of my brother's sickness. That's what she would have said. But she would have missed out on all that God could have done. So, if she would just say, in 2020, I am praying for a shift in Lazarus. Whatever you're going to do, God, use it however. And so I want us to begin thinking, because next Sunday and the following week, I'm going to really go after this. What is your biggest prayer request? What was your disappointment in 2019? What if God was standing in front of you, would you say, even now, I'm believing you can do this? What is that prayer request? And so for the next seven days, I want you to be thinking about it. We're going to go somewhere next week, and we're going to pull out something to kind of go with this that I think is going to be very powerful. But I need you to start thinking now. What is it? For some of you, you already knew the moment I started talking about disappointment, you know, whoop, this is, my, this, is, this is what's going on. Some of you, you've kind of pushed it down and hit it because every time you think about it, it hurts too much because you've had faith in it for years and it doesn't happen. And, but there's something, something that is your biggest prayer request. And maybe because it's gone so long not being fulfilled, you've just kind of put it off to the side. And I'm going to ask you next week to bring it back up, to pull it forth. Amen? Let me close with this. I want to invite you in this process to join us as a church in a beginning of the year fast. If you are part of Victory, you know last year we did this. If not, you may not even know what a fast is. And certainly on our social media and on our website, we'll have more and more information. But one of the best things about fasting is it's you removing something that you love, something that you can have, and removing it so that you can open up more time to be intimate with God. So I'll give you some examples. Some people like to fast food. Not fast food. Don't be going to Chick-fil-A and calling it Jesus. Okay, they like to fast food. So what they do is they won't eat for lunch, and during that time frame that they would normally eat lunch, they'll pray. Some people will fast social media. In the time that they're normally on social media, they'll pray. Some of the people will fast TV. Some people will fast things like uh, sweets or, or sugary drinks. And it's not so much about opening up the time as much as it is being able to say, God, I need your help to not desire these things. And it creates this intimacy between you and Jesus. One of the reasons why I think it's so important for us to start the year off this way is because I'm about to lead you into believing for the biggest prayer you've ever believed in. And if we're going to do that, we need to start it by fasting. One of the disciples' biggest disappointment was when they came to Jesus and said, we're trying to heal him and we can't. Jesus said, some of these spirits come out by prayer and by fasting. Some of your disappointments aren't going to happen until we fast. Until we put ourselves in a situation where we can get more and more intimate with God. Our fast starts January 1st, and we will bring it to a close January 19th as we celebrate our two-year-old birthday right here in this place. We've got some awesome festivities planned. We're going to have a great time. We're going to celebrate, and then you're going to be able to eat if, if you're fasting food right after service. It's going to be great. But as your pastor, I'm asking you real quick before I leave as a favor that you would pray and consider January 1st to January 19th participating in our churchwide fast. 
that you would ask yourself, what is something? What is something that I could sacrifice? I told you in Purpose Prevails that that's my job to help shift you a little bit more in, in your generosity and in your faith in God and these kind of things. And, and this is just another little shift for you. Some of you gave financially. You've never given to the church before and you gave for the first time in Purpose Prevails. And I know you can testify to God doing great things. Some of you have never fasted before and this is the opportunity to do that. Maybe God's calling you to fast social media. Maybe he's calling you to fast a television show. Maybe he's telling you not to, not to drink sugary drinks or, 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 or some people I know will fast from sun up to sundown. Uh, I, I know some people that are eating in a two-hour window and the rest of the day they're fasting. So many cool things. And it's not really about what you're doing. It's about the heart behind it. The idea that I'm going to sacrifice something so that I can become closer and more intimate with my God. And I think it's the best way to kick off a year where we are going to believe God for the biggest prayer request we've ever believed for. Amen? Are you with me? I know everybody's a little bit tired, and I know you're getting into the new year, but I think this is huge, church. I think it's huge. I've dedicated the entire year of 2020 to believing with you for whatever this prayer request is, that God's going to do a shift in your life. I believe it. I've been praying for you every morning. I'm going to pray for you all throughout this fast. But it's going to encourage me the most to know that you're fasting and praying too. So in January 1, I won't be with you because it'll be a Wednesday. But we start fasting. You come in on January 5th ready to, to acknowledge what that prayer request is. Amen? 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 Father, we thank you for your faithfulness for your word that is alive and moving in our lives. We thank you that even though sometimes we put together our own expectations and our own picture, there's times where, God, you have to, you have to exceed those expectations. And in the process, you have to crush the picture that we had in mind. And for every person in this room that ended this year saying, I really thought it was going to go a different way, I pray that today they'd be encouraged that you're doing something more in their life. And that every person in this room, I pray two things. One, I, I pray you would instill in their heart right now what you're calling them to fast. And that as a church, we would enter into 2020 strong in prayer and in fasting. And then you would lay on their heart. A lot of them they knew coming in the door, but some of them you're reminding them today of that prayer request, that Lazarus. And that as we fast together, we would also be able to agree in prayer together. Lord, what you did in 2019 is beyond our words from the salvations to the lives that are changed, to the progress that we've made in our community, to the money we were able to give away, to the friends that we've met. And we're believing that you're going to do even more in 2020. There's going to be shift in so many areas of our lives. And it starts with us shifting our spiritual life with prayer and fasting. So Lord, be with us today. Communicate your heart to our heart. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said,